The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Fascinating interviews and compelling conversations. Be present. The Diane Ray Show. Thanks for tuning in today for another conversation. And if you do listen to this podcast, hopefully you do on a regular basis. I really try to bring in guests and conversations and people that are inspiring and people that have something to share that can really make our lives better. Because let's face it, it's difficult to cope with life. I mean, what we've all been going through in the past few years, it's amazing that we're hanging on at all, (laughs) quite frankly. I mean, just talking to a lot of my friends, you know, we've been through COVID, political divisions, you know, economic disparity, reading the news, job insecurity, rising rates of depression. I mean, I, I could just go on. So, you know, some people have different ways to cope. I mean, people deal with life Uh, coping with alcohol or sex or shopping or gambling or eating. I mean, you know, a lot of ways that can be harmful. And so I'd like to present a different way today to cope, which is definitely a lot less harmful than those things I mentioned, but something that you may not have thought of previously, birdwatching as a way to handle depression, anxiety, and stress. And that's right. You may not have even thought about this, but uh, birdwatching, And connecting with nature and our feathered friends can really help lower our stress levels and help us heal. So while your eyebrows are raising, we're going to dive into it. We're going to explore this today with my guest, Tama Watts, and she's written a beautiful book called Keep Looking Up, Your Guide to the Powerful Healing of Birdwatching. And it's through Hay House, available now at Amazon or your local bookstore. And I've been spending some time with it, and I really love this idea. I think that it's something that we should all consider. So let's just jump into it, and welcome to the to the show, Tama. I'm so glad that we could talk about this. Thank you, Diane. I'm happy to be here. Well, let's jump in and start from the beginning, because you're a neighbor here from right down the road. I'm here in San Diego, and uh, you're, you're actually a native, which is crazy. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> here is a San Diego native. And it's funny, because I'm from Florida originally, and I used to hear that all the time growing up, like, nobody's from Florida, you know, everyone's a transplant. But you were lucky enough to be here when it wasn't as crazy and overcrowded as it is today. So tell us a little bit about growing up in those days and your connection to nature. And in particular, uh, share a little bit about your special bird that you had called Fluffy Duck, which I think is so cute. Sure. Thank you. Yes, I am. You know, let me just veer off for a second and just say in bird, in the world of birding, we talk about rare birds, birds that you don't often see. So that's what I always say about myself being a native San Diegan is like I'm a rare bird. You are. You're a rare <laughs> we bird. Exist, but we're here. We're here. So I'm I'm always happy to say I'm a native San Diegan. And it is true. I had the opportunity to grow up because I'm not young um, at a time where 
although the, I lived in the city, this is when I was young, say from the age of four years till about nine years of age, um, in an area called Encanto, a lot of the roads were paved, but there were still just as many that were not. And so they were made of dirt and it was rural. So it was a mix of, of experience in terms of the, the space that I lived in. And so my mother, um, in one of her wild whims, decided to, over time, purchase a property across the street from where we lived. And on it was an old, old, old home and a lot of land. And she wanted us to have the experience of having um, a farm. So that meant to her goats, horses, and chickens. And so we didn't have a horse. We had a pony because she found out that the horse would be a lot. And we didn't have goats because she was warned that they would eat everything and anything, including the bumper off a car. And I always remember that. But the chickens were something that she definitely was able to get. And we had. So we had five chickens named after the disciples. She decided to name them after the disciples. And during that period, I also at the feed store um, was able to get a little bright yellow duckling. And I named it Fluffy Duck. And I'd say those between the duck and the chickens, that was my first experience that I can recall of having a, a connection with birds in different ways. The duck, Fluffy Duck, I really developed a very close bond with. Um, she offered me solace, joy, and just a sense of just being there on that property. And now as an adult, looking back, it really allowed me to connect on the land. I would carry her around with me for hours on end. She would tuck her beak under my arm and sleep. And I would just carry her around, um, watch her eat some of the wild plants growing so it just really helped me to have a love early on with um, a bird in a very special way as it grew up along with me. The chickens, that's a whole nother story, as you know, in the book. <laughs> not, not so much the close experience, uh, the close relationship with the chickens. Right. Different kind of, ex different kind of relationship with them, but nonetheless, it, it's still a part of my connection with birds. Yes. Well, it sounds pretty amazing to have that experience. I mean, that's something that I never was, um, you know, able to grow up with. So I'm, I really envy you with that experience. It must must have been really beautiful. And how long does a duck live? Actually, I'm just curious. Oh, you know what, Diane? I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> how long? How long did you have Fluffy Duck? Do you remember? We had her until I was around nine or ten years of age when we moved. Yeah. So, and I don't, you know, because there's domesticated ducks, you know, and then there's wild ducks and I don't know the answer. That's, I'm going to have to find that out. I will let you know so that okay. you can let your listeners know, because right. I really don't want to just throw a number out there. I'm not sure. I was just curious. I was just wondering. Yeah, I know. That's part of birding is curiosity. I love it. So there's a couple of things um, just to clarify to the listeners about birding. We may have heard about bird watching or have seen people out there looking at birds. Um, actually, when I was working at Hay House, and you've been to the off offices there in Carlsbad, and, and I would see a, a good amount of people, you know, different times walking around with binoculars, looking around and birding because there was such an amazing array of birds in that area, and especially uh, raptors, you know, falcons and eagles things like that. Um, so is there any uh, difference between birding and bird watching that we should know about? 
Sure. And, you know, I have to say, I have not had the the honor, the chance to be, to go to Hay House's headquarters, even though they're in, up near where I live. I, you know, joined Hay House um, as an author during the pandemic. So unfortunately, I've not had that chance, but I do know the area. I do know the area and there's all those wonderful old trees and eucalyptus and all kinds of shrubs and greenery and even near the water, not too far from water spaces. So I understand the diversity that's there in terms of the birds. Um, and so, which is great to hear that even in a space that has a lot of offices and businesses, that folks were still feeling the connection with nature and with birds, that they even had their binoculars out. Um, I would say there is, technically speaking, there is a difference between birding and bird watching. Historically, bird watching has been for folks who are curious about birds enthusiastic about birds, bird watching as a hobby. Whereas birding, if just to help the listeners consider, it was it's it has historically been for um, as a sport, for lack of a better way to give the an, another analogy. So as a sport where you may, as we say, chase after a bird, where you're literally looking after a particular species, whether it's a rare bird or new birds that have come into the area through migration or any other purpose, as well as going out with outings and really um, keeping a tally. Um, and that could be on a daily basis or for the year, a lot of birders will keep a tally per year of what they see as they bird locally, as well as on travel. And many have extensive knowledge of birds um, and including researchers, scientists, and um, ornithologists. Um, so that's kind of the difference. That said, there really is a movement to kind of eradicate the notion that there's birders and then there's bird watchers. And that's really to involve and include everyone can enjoy birds and that you can show up and enjoy birds any way you like to. And you don't even have to know the names of them. I mean, maybe you're describing them by the color of their feathers or the size of their beak or the shape they are or where you saw them. And why would that not be birding? Why are you not enjoying birding? Because in both, both, in both instances, you're usually enjoying the birds, whether you're chasing after one particular species you've heard about, or you're meandering around in the backyard or on your deck or patio, and you happen to notice the hummingbirds zip by, or you're part of a community or an outing and you're going and learning from others. That's what birding can be. It includes all, and maybe you can't see because you don't have that ability, but you can hear the birds. And maybe you don't walk. You Maybe you use wheels to get about. And so that's fine too. You still can be enjoying the birds and nature and all of that. So we're really moving towards saying that folks are birding and that we are all birders. And in my book, I chose to, inter to use those words interchangeably. Um, for that, for that reason. Right. No, that makes total sense. And if people are curious about actually seeing birding as a sport, not too long ago, I saw a segment of Real Sports with Brian Gobel on HBO. And there was a whole segment of people that do this and they do over a whole 24 hour period. They do consider it a sport, the people that participate, I guess, because there's a winner, you know, or, yeah. or something, <laughs> some, something that you get at the end of this, but they were just really into it, really excited um, about this whole competition. So it was really interesting. It wasn't too long ago, maybe two months ago, um, real sports birding. So there, there are people that compete in this uh, as a sport. So it's and I need to look that up. 
I missed you should. that. Yeah, yeah, I got to see that. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty fun. And like you uh, say in the book, you know, anybody can really enjoy the the benefits of, you know, the re- relaxation of, of looking at birds. And I'm going to post um, this video that I have um, when I post this podcast. So you'll see this. Um, there was a bird's nest outside of my office um, when I was at Hay House. And I have since identified the bird as an Oriole. And you can see the nest and the baby birds and how they're fed. And it became like a whole thing where people would come into my office and and watch this bird family. And I just loved having that nest outside my office. And I was very protective of them. And I was upset where after a storm, the nest disappeared. And I was hoping the birds would come back the following year and rebuild that nest. And and they didn't come back, unfortunately. Um, I was sad. (laughs) I was hoping they'd return. But you can become very fascinated just watching them and um, you know, seeing their behavior. So I'll post that video as well so people can see it. So another question I had for you, birds have been connected to spiritual practices for centuries. Birds like the owl that are associated with wisdom and people believe, believing that seeing bird feathers is a sign from our departed loved ones. And what do you think about the spiritual connection that we have with birds? Because clearly it seems that you have a really great connection with them and and you love them. I'm sure a lot of other people do too. Yes. Thank you. I appreciate that question too, because there is, I think it's huge. There is a very strong connection between birds in the spiritual realm and our connection with that. Um, And each of us has a unique opportunity and a unique experience with a bird or birds that we connect with in that way. So for some birds, it may feel like a sense of joy and healing that transforms into this spiritual um, experience. And others, like you mentioned, you may be gifted a feather from a, from a loved one. Um, or I guess it could be a stranger, but I feel like that's a sign of love. If they even if you don't know the person, they give you a feather. Usually, when someone hands you a feather, it is truly a gift, and usually the person receiving it can't help but wonder what bird did this? What feather did this belong to? What bird did it what did it have? Was it for from? And what is the meaning? And so we usually, if we allow ourselves and not worry about what others think. Um, allow ourselves the the opportunity the to connect with the meaning that's what creates the spiritual connection and a form of healing as well like this whole body experience of healing to know oh this is from a loved one's this is a sign from a loved one or this is a symbol telling me to take care or all is well or whatever the message is that you receive i just like to encourage listeners to think about allowing yourself to receive the message free of judgment and, and, and enjoy it because it was, I feel that it it was meant for you. And I know this to be true because um, in talking with others who have had similar experiences, when they know that others also feel the same, it's very liberating and it's very healing to know that. So yes, all that to say, yes, yes. Not, and also, you know, our ancestors have always acknowledged and been able to make spiritual connections with birds as well. We sometimes have lost it in the midst of a lot of man-made, more, you know, man-made everything kind of pushes us away from 
the deep connections with nature. And so having the spiritual connection is really a way of us having a collective knowing that this is important. There is truly that experience. And so I just want to remind folks to to remind themselves of that so they can have they can have that joy as well. And not to discount it. I think a lot of times we're so quick to have our rational mind discount a a feeling or an experience that we're having on a spiritual level. And I've read many stories of people that have said, you know, a, a departed loved one has visited them through a bird or a bird that would repeatedly visit them. And and they have that feeling that it is a sign or a message from this certain person. Yes. And and who's to say that it's not? I mean, I and I think it can be healing to believe that and and to accept that. It can and it can help you in your grief. You know, why would you turn away from that kind of message? Yes. And 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 what I find is usually you know who that loved one might be or what the message is. We get caught up sometimes when we think and and, and it's based on reality that there's times you may try to share this with someone who may not have the same connection and you feel as though, oh, they think I'm crazy or oh, they think I'm just not, you know, all there. So it tends to tamp down folks desire to share their experiences. That doesn't mean they're still not having them. And I'm really trying to push forward for folks to feel that, and that's why I included it in the book, so that there's this allowance for acknowledging it. Like, you know who the loved one is. Um, And there's sometimes the bird does, it defies the fact that the bird came to visit a time and time again. Um, And it wasn't before, let's say, in the instance of someone who's passed away, transitioned before, it happened after that person transitioned, that this unusual bird that you've not ever seen before keeps visiting you time and time again, as an example. Right. And what I love about the book, I mean, it it shares a lot of healing stories. You share a lot of yourself personally in the book. It's very experiential. You have exercises and prompts and and things to really help people along the way to maybe take a, a few steps into exploring this world. And it, it really is easy for people to get started regardless of their physical uh, capabilities. I mean, you, you have a lot of examples of ways that things can can be modified. So maybe you could share a step or two that if, if this is intriguing to people and they're thinking they might want to reach out and, and join a group or talk to people, I mean, they can even just start in their own backyard at first, right? That's true. Yes. So yeah. So what to to just start to really get started, I say it's about give yourself some time. It doesn't have to be a lot of time either, but I say give yourself about 10 minutes. And I really want to just underscore, please just do what you can in the way that you want to. Um, and if you have a backyard or you have an outdoor space, then to go and step out in it or be out in it. Give yourself about 10 minutes and just notice what shows up in the way of birds. We're talking about birds right now. So just notice, because in, in a side benefit, you'll notice the trees and the shrubs, and you may notice things you haven't noticed before going out in the space. And that just that engagement in that process of being curious and a little bit of time is really the great greatest way to get started. You don't need necessarily any equipment, guides, or anything. And then as you're interest and curiosity grows. And when you feel like it, 
then you might want to then consider getting binoculars so that you can see maybe some fine details over time. Um, when you start to notice some birds that come by regularly, you, when you spend time outdoors, you start to notice some regulars that actually live right around you in the same shared space. So starting to see some of the fine details is helpful. Walking around or being in your neighborhood, you start to kind of expand your curiosity and that connection. And then there's all kinds of apps. There's online videos and there are groups um, that are available depending on your interest and your own personal identity that you can be a member of that can help support you in terms of building your community with like-minded folks and opportunities for volunteerism that can include ecotourism. It can include conservation and advocacy for the birds and their habitats, which means our communities. And as I say in the book, when we're caring for birds, and that might mean that you're hanging out a feeder or offering water or native plants, you're also caring for yourself. So there is this beneficial and mutual exchange and relationship that develops that also creates well-being, healing, and it's and it can be done for for life. Right. And just putting these practices into place now, you know, just taking a few little steps. And um, in the book, kind of from taking these first steps, you really just invite us to deepen a mindfulness practice, you know, or maybe that could lead to a mindfulness meditation practice. And I know that word has been kind of thrown around a lot, you know, over the past couple of years. And people might feel intimidated that, oh, I can't do, you know, a mindfulness meditation. I'm afraid to meditate. I can't just sit for 10 minutes or something like that. Mm-hmm. But in in your experience, it's it's not that difficult. Like you, you can get started and maybe even just opening the door to sitting outside and, and being mindful of just looking at birds is a great entryway for that. Yeah. And that's true. I, it is. It allows, yeah, because it is mindfulness. It can feel really overwhelming. It's like I have to do this, and I have to do that, and it, it, you can get your brain, your mind gets caught up in what you aren't doing right, and then you you're missing the experience of mindfulness, which elementally is about remaining in the present, acceptance of what shows up, what is, and so if we can just remember those two things, just try to remain in the present and accept whatever comes and allow the birds to be the vehicle by which you do that. So if I'm looking at a finch or a, uh, yeah, let's say like a, a house finch, they're pretty common in most places. Those are those little brown birds with a bit of red. The males have the, the red heads, red, red breasts, right? So they're pretty common. If you just look at them and just notice them and curious about what they're doing, in that process, you're in the moment. You're in present moment. You're not thinking about something you have to do in the next half hour or some mistake you made just a few minutes before. So you're living in the present moment and by looking at the bird. And so that's the beauty of it. That's how you're practicing mindfulness in and of itself. If you're walking around in the neighborhood or on a trail and you happen to start to notice the birds and the sounds and the smells, that's being in the present moment. That's mindfulness. So yeah, I agree with you. Sometimes it can feel overwhelming, but it really isn't. It's just about staying in the moment. And if your thoughts start to wander, accept that you're like, oh, I'm thinking about, I'm worried about this, or I'm thinking about that. 
acknowledge it and then come back to, oh, look at that bird. Oh, look at the hummingbird. I wonder what it's doing. And so it's a great way to bring you back. The birds will bring you back time and time again. Right. I love I love that as a, a prompt. And I, I think it'll be so helpful for people. I mean, this is something that I, I have been working on and kind of struggling with for a long time, even to the point where I call this podcast, Be Present, because I'm just, I'm always trying to, trying to bring myself into the present moment because I come from a long line of worriers and, you know, my grandmother worried about everything. My mother did. My sister worries and is anxious. And I, I don't want that kind of energy all the time, you know, so I'm always trying to bring myself into the present moment. So these are all great examples that you share in the book. So here, here's another question. I'm curious of what you think about this. So maybe this could be your next Hay House book, the personality of the bird that you're drawn to. What could that mean? You know, like I've always loved hummingbirds and growing up in Florida, I never really saw them. And then when I moved here to California, I put a feeder out and I was so excited. Oh, there's hummingbirds. So I could just watch them for hours and, you know, look for their little nests that are so cute. And, um, even uh, like I mentioned before at, at Hay House at our old offices, it was near a canyon where there were eagles nests and red-tailed falcons and hawks and all these kinds of raptors. And sometimes you'd actually see them, you know, dive down and pick up something, you know, a rat or whatever it found. So they were always exciting to watch. So I was always attracted to them and owls. Um, but then there's other birds like crows and ravens that are out here that are kind of scary and big. And sometimes there'll be a bunch of them gathering around. You think they're looking at you like the birds <laughs> right. or even seagulls, you know, and it seems like they're just flying garbage cans that eat anything. I've even seen a seagull eat another seagull. Uh -huh. So I don't, I don't know if there's any personality tests that can be applied to that. Do you think that sounds that like a, like a, a interesting project. <laughs> Thank you for putting that in my head. I'll have to collaborate with you. <laughs> Because <laughs> that is neat. I know what you mean, though. Like, if I'm drawn towards hummingbirds versus crows versus a hawk, or like, what does what about that bird might mirror or complement or illustrate aspects of us as humans and our personalities? I have to explore that more. Yeah, this could be the next book proposal. Okay, <laughs> and, and feel free to take the idea; it's all yours. You know? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> we'll approach the marketing department and see what yes. So the other other thing that I really loved uh, about the book, I mean, I love that you shared a lot of your personal story, including that you were diagnosed with something called chronic regional pain syndrome, CRPS, which isn't widely known, but it struck a chord with me because one of my best friends that I grew up with who might be listening to this, since she is a regular podcast listener, hi, Wendy, if you're listening, she has suffered with this for years. This is a debilitating painful, misunderstood condition that a lot of people have never heard of. It's been called RSD back in the beginning, um, uh, chronic fatigue syndrome, uh, a, lot of, a lot of different things. But the people mm -hmm. that are experiencing this are suffering real chronic pain to the point where they're having, some people are having pain, um, you know, drug morphine pumps uh, inserted into their body and things like that. And you've really been able to experience some physical healing and management of your pain through the practices of birding and bird watching that, that you share in the book. And I just wanted to get a little bit of your experience because this is such an unknown and misunderstood condition. And there might be a lot of people out there that when they hear your story, it'll be just like a light in the darkness. 
Thank you to, for asking about that. And yes, and it and and the stories. I really felt it was important for me to share the stories that I do. It wasn't easy to do, um, but I felt compelled to. Um, and I tried to do it in a descriptive way um, as well, because I felt I feel that our stories is part of our healing. Being able to share them, and ideally when they're accepted, that's another level of powerful healing for us. And so connecting that with the birds is, for me, one of my um, aspirations is to is to really encourage folks to develop their connection to birds through the stories that they have about the birds, either in the past or as they develop them, as they get to know them. And so all that to say, in terms of my healing um, journey with this, as you said, it's a very rare neurological condition that has more understanding now than years ago. Not that it's completely there yet, but it has, we've moved along the path of understanding. When I first contracted it, it was like you said, called RSD. There's a lot of stigma, misdiagnoses. Um, I was informed incorrectly of what to do and not to do, which just made my condition even worse. I had no idea what I was dealing with. So I felt very isolated. And those of you who have pain, chronic pain, and other debilitating, we're talking right now about health conditions, but this can also apply to mental health conditions as well. You become so isolated um, that it makes the pain and the experience worse. Um, and it's a cycle. And that's not to say that it's all, that it's anyone's fault because it is not. It's just trying to understand the cycle of pain, depression, and isolation. And so that's why I say the opportunity to connect with a bird or birds to notice them, it really does shift, even if it's a few seconds of your attention from the pain. Because like what I say, we're going to have the pain anyway. So why not even shift a little bit? And if you can't go outdoors, you can't stand up, you can't be outside, then please consider looking through a window, a doorway, Usually that's an opportunity to do that. Have someone drive you if you can get in a vehicle and drive and take, you know, a slow drive around and see what you notice because it's a gateway. The birds serve as a gateway to healing because you begin to start to notice them minute by minute. And like I said, if you can do it where you live, you may start to notice the same handful or more of birds that are regulars. They're living with you. And you kind of get to start to see little stories when they argue, when they're getting along, when they're helping to feed the young, like what you described, Diane's noticing out of sight your office window, you know, the, the birds and the nests, you can start to, it really creates um, kind of like a form of an extended family or friends that you notice. So you're not as isolated. It truly breaks that sense of isolation and that helps advance your healing as well. So all that, it might be a long way to answer that, but I just really am trying to explain that connection and how that happens. And for me, I would go outside for maybe a minute at a time. You know, it was hard for me to just get up and physically go out there. And then I started relaxing a little bit more and then I would do it for two minutes and three minutes. So again, try not to have the judgment and the critical self-talk, which a lot of us dealing with pain um, in chronic conditions tend to do because we're trying to do the best we can. And we always feel as though people don't understand us and we quote unquote, look fine, 
So what's wrong with you? And so there's a lot of judgment and stigma. And that's why I wrote the stories is to kind of break through the stigmas. There's one point, there's billions of people that are either dealing with chronic pain, depression, anxiety, stress, isolation, and grief. And I had a lot of grief at the loss of what I used to be able to do physically versus what I'm able to do now. And as I was healing even more so it's an ongoing process. And so just being able to acknowledge that we have those feelings and knowing that there's others that experience the same um, is also part of your healing. So it all goes together along with see the birds as your feathered friends, as your gateway, bit by bit. They have no judgment and they'll accept us and accept you. I hope that I makes think sense. This, oh, absolutely. And I think this is a great tool that people can explore and, and add to what they're doing because like you said, the pain and depression will only just increase the isolation. And it's just this vicious cycle that will, will keep, keep going, you know, and this could be something that could jar people a little bit or, you know, give them a little bit of hope that there can be some relief, even if it starts out with just a, a few seconds or a few minutes. Yes. It, it, yes. it will build. It will yes. build. And it helps so. your brain rewire. And then, so your brain's also absorbing, you're experiencing and observing and taking notice of something that's joyful and different. So it does start to create different pathways for your brain as well to kind of take that in as well as kind of overriding a little bit of the suffering that you may be experiencing. Right. And in all this time that you've been observing birds and, and nature and, and loving animals, I mean, you can see the correlation, I guess. So there's so much that we can learn from the natural world as humans, because we are herd animals, or in this case, flock animals. And right. we need to be a part of society and, and contributing. And we need human interaction and community, just like the birds. And that's why I think what a lot of people have experienced over the pandemic with this isolation is so damaging. Loneliness, I read, is is the next big epidemic of people mm. that are just kind of you know, checked out. And I think what we can learn from birds about contributing and benefiting from community is a lot, you know, like birds flying together in, in unison, the one at the top will fly for a while until it's tired, then it goes back and then another one takes its place. Yes. So there's, there's a lot of things that we can learn and incorporate into our own lives just from being observers like you've been. Yes. And I, and I, yes. And I really wanted to illustrate that that we really can take a lot of guidance from birds about ourselves and even ways that we can consider to help with our healing and connection. And like you said, that example of like the flock, in, I used the example maybe of geese or other similar birds that fly, like um, pelicans, for example, that fly in that V shape where there's one in the front of the V, that point, and then the rest are, well, V shaped behind them. They'll fly for a bit and then they naturally will, as they begin to tire, drop back into the back of the formation. So they're getting the least amount of the wind and the other one will move forward. And so that they, the flock as a whole continues on, on their journey, right? But they're sharing in that load. They're sharing in the effort. And so, like you said, in community, when we can join with like-minded, like other peeps, <laughs> if you <Right>. will, <laughs> um, and 
and everyone can say, yeah, like you don't have to know it all. You don't have to do it all. And so here's permission to say, I'm not able to do this, but I'm able to do this other thing. And so it com- we complement one another in our strengths and what we don't, aren't able to do. And th- that that's okay. That's okay because we're still moving along in our journey. So I think to illustrate that, that's a great example of that, that community can offer that and break the isolation um, that would normally keep us bound inward and in more suffering. And I do have to add, if I could just add this other quick thing, there's a lot of people who are, who have helped, been dealing with chronic pain and isolation for health and mental health reasons, let's say, that when the pandemic came along, and these are people, for example, who are spoonies, they were able to say, yes, we've been dealing with this for quite some time where we have been indoors. We haven't been able to go places. We have limited um, capacity. It really brought forward the awareness of what people with debilitating conditions have been or limitations um, or how they move about is different. Um, It kind of brought our needs forward as persons with disabilities and they can all look different, but nonetheless, they're as important. That's one of the things that came forth as a result of the pandemic. Right. That's true. And you have been in this world as a mental health practitioner and licensed marriage and family therapist for over 35 years. And I'm sure you've seen the, you know, the problems of with depression and loneliness and the things that have come out of the past couple of years that we've been through. And so this beautiful book that you've written can really help people benefit their mental health through something as simple as bird watching, you know, just getting started doing that. And you feel pretty passionate about this, right? That this is something that could be really beneficial for our mental health. Absolutely. 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 I mean, I can't underscore that enough. Yes. It helped me my first connection um, because I was so very depressed and um, grieving a life I had. Um, and I had a chance encounter looking through my kitchen window at a little bright little yellow bird, which I say cast sunshine all over my soul. And there was a brief encounter where I felt we locked eyes briefly. And then I started to look for the bird again and again, and it would come back to this tree outside the kitchen window. And it wasn't until quite some time later that I learned it was a yellow warbler that was passing through in the springtime through on migration, um, that it was my bird that helped me to connect with my outdoor space in a different way. And in doing so, my depression began to, the symptoms of my depression began to ease as a result of that. Because every time I would see the bird, it was like a little bit was lifted away. So I felt a little bit lighter. I could, it is almost like I could see sunshine started to really, like that's the symbolism for me. The bird, what is a very bright yellow, if anyone, they should Google it. It's a yellow warbler. I was even able to take pictures of this bird through the kitchen window eventually because it's hung around all spring, but they're very bright. And so it really is a, for me, symbolic of brightness and hope, which yellow birds through many cultures is a symbol of hope and, um, positivity and connection. And so it just is very interesting that that is the bird that I felt the same way. And I started to feel less depressed. And I started to notice my, I started to see my yard in a completely different way. 
it came to life. It became an extension of my healing and where I lived because otherwise I felt like I was enclosed in my home and in darkness, which depression and anxiety can create that sense of darkness. Um, this was my light. And so I began through that bird to notice other birds. Like I mentioned, doves, house finches, the song sparrow, the wrens, all those little beautiful melodic sounds that began to lift my mood, my sense of well-being increased. And now we have research that in part through the pandemic and even before, but especially the pandemic is beginning to show folks spending time outdoors, noticing birds. They have seen there's a correlation between the reduction of your symptoms of depression, anxiety, it boosts your immune system. It increases your sense of well-being, just hearing the bird song. Um, so there's a lot of benefits just through experiential um, knowledge, but also now research is also supporting that for those who may be wondering about that as, to, as well. Well, I'm so glad that you're out in the world sharing this message, and I think that it's it's so beneficial. And we're in a beautiful time of year right now for people to open their eyes and, and look around at all the birds. And how can people reach you? I mean, the book is out right now. Uh, keep looking up your guide to the powerful healing of bird watching. So definitely pick that up. And people can find you on your website. Is that the best place if they'd like to connect or have a question? Sure. Yes. And this is a great time because we are in spring. I know in some parts of the country and world, um, our weather patterns are saying otherwise, but the birds are telling us, if you notice, they're, they're, it is spring. It is definitely spring. This is a great time where not all the leaves have yet grown and you can notice birds. So yes, this is a great time to, kept, to connect with me. I, my website is tamawatts.com. Um, you can sign up for um, upcoming updates and to connect with me if you want to send me messages. The book is available anywhere you buy books, like you said, on Amazon. It's in Barnes & Noble stores. It's indie books as well in different parts of the country and the world, which I'm so happy about because I, my hope is that the book will reach those, wherever there's birds, you know, there's us. And so I'm hoping that this healing message can help others. That's really my hope. Um, and I'm on an Instagram. I think mostly I do have Facebook as well, and that's a sh to share birds and there's folks from around the world. And it's on Instagram that I tend to share stories related to the bird experiences. So that's how you can find me. Well, look for Tama. It's T-A-M-M-A-H Watts, W-A-T-T-S. Find her on Facebook and Instagram. You can find me all over the place, Facebook, Instagram as well. And if you like this podcast, which I hope you do, definitely subscribe or leave a review wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Google, Spotify, all those places. And check out all the other amazing podcasters that are part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network. And thank you so much, Tama, for chatting with me today. Thank you, Diane. I loved talking with you and talking about the birds. Peace and birds, everyone. for help on your path to healing? I'm Lisa Campion. I'm a psychic, Reiki master, teacher, and energy healer. On my podcast, The Miracle of Healing, I'm going to help you on your healing path. Listen to conversations with leading teachers in energy medicine, quantum healing, and people who have recovered from loss and illness. 
Whether it's to take care of your own healing or to help other people, this is the podcast for you right here on mindbodyspirit.fm.